Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me for a podcast episode today, I have Grant Duncan. He's a VP of Marketing at Vox Implant. Grant, it's good to have you here, man. Great to be on. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, before we drop it, uh, jump into today's topic, which I'm actually pretty excited about because it's not too often that we get a topic that has never, ever been discussed on the podcast before. Um, before nice. we get to that, um, quick question for you. Are you team Apple or team Android? I am team Apple, but I have flip-flopped back and forth. So it's Android, then Apple, then Android, now back to Apple. Back to Apple. What? How long are those uh, flip-flops? Like two or three years or what does that look like? Yeah, typically. Part of it is I actually kind of like testing out them both to kind of see what the latest updates are and um, experience something new. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually haven't heard that from many people. It's normally one or the other. So I like that that thinking for sure. (laughs) I I do have, I've been pretty consistent with an Apple laptop though, I have to say. Yes, they're pretty sweet. I'll give you that too. I'm on an iMac right now and it's tough to go back to like PC for me after being on an OS or Mac OS for sure. Um, Well, cool. Very interesting to hear. I always like the, you know, the, the inside scoop on people's lives. So moving into this topic, um, It's influencer marketing, which I think is really interesting, especially in the B2B world. Um, I personally haven't seen many companies execute it well, uh, but obviously you guys have had some success with it. um, And I would love to dive into that. So my opening question for you is um, a lot of B2B marketers just aren't doing influencer marketing like the B2C world or the D2C world is. Uh, Why do you think they're so far behind? I think my guess is it kind of falls under the same like, why aren't people investing in social more um, in general is it's harder to track. And so it's harder to say like doing this got us X results. Um, so it's going to be much more um, of something that may spread uh, through word of mouth and the company has to be willing to invest in things that they can't see show up in attribution software. Mm-hmm. That that's my biggest guess. Uh, the other thing that I think why some don't is they maybe aren't sure of who the influencers are in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, so identifying those and then being willing to reach out to them is another part. Was that one of the toughest things for you guys was identifying like the influencer in the space or is that kind of easy? It was easy for us because um, Vox Implant has two products. One is a communications platform for developers and product managers. Second is contact center software for customer support. So on the, um, we've focused more of our influencer marketing on developers Mm -hmm. because developers um, have very low tolerance for typical marketing efforts and they really trust their peers um, and kind of want to see things in action. So 
we focus on the developer side and there's actually a good amount of uh, like developer influencers out there, especially on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So the part of finding them, um, it, you know, it took research and effort, but um, it wasn't too difficult for us. Mm -hmm. So stepping back broad view, what has it been like so far with your influencer campaign? Um, like what, it, maybe some results, maybe some wins, maybe some losses. I'd love to hear like the hundred miles, the 10 miles in the air, whatever you might call it of what it's been like for you guys so far. Sure. So um, this was something that I wanted us to try out because I, I think it's uh, an untapped area for us and our direct competitors aren't doing it that much. There are some others in the um, developer marketing world that do this a bit, but, um, but not often in our, our direct space. Um, so felt like there was maybe some arbitrage we could find here. Um, and frankly, like a big part of any marketing strategy, I think should be growing your brand awareness and helping people realize what you do and how you can help them mm -hmm. so that when they are ready to, um, to invest in whatever your product is, they'll keep you top of mind. Mm -hmm. And for us, this is a great way for people uh, to do that. So we focus primarily on uh, YouTube influencers to start these uh, YouTube developer influencers. And um, the idea is that many uh, of these YouTubers have channels totally dedicated to helping people learn new coding skills. Mm -hmm. So some of them, they will do like tutorials or walkthroughs. Others are more like demo-esque. Um, and so this is great for us because they have an audience of people who want to learn new things. <laughs> so we can be one of those new things that yeah. they learn. Um, and from like a results perspective, you know, it is kind of hard to say um, we have gotten X specifically from this. Ways we've used to kind of approximate um, the effectiveness of some of these uh, influencers we've worked with has been looking at um, Google Analytics, uh, like views and users, seeing if that trends up like the day of or, or soon after mm -hmm. when some YouTuber publishes their video. Um, of course, with GDPR happening and cookies um, being tracked less, it only gives you a partial view. Uh, for yeah. us, we also have a self-service option. So looking at the number of self-service registrations, someone signing up and wanting to try it out. Almost like a for PLG instance, motion. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We've got the yeah. PLG and the sales assistant for when someone wants to talk to, mm -hmm. um, to sales. And so uh, for instance, in this last video, we got about double the number of registrations um, on the day that a video was launched. Um, and, and also just kind of like engagement in general, uh, you know, how many people are viewing the video? Um, I think like views or comments or likes on YouTube in some ways can be a vanity metric. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, if the goal is to educate new people and bring awareness, 
like views is actually like a decent metric to look mm -hmm. at as well. Even if they're not going to buy directly from you, they might tell someone else when it comes up in conversation later. Um, so that's another thing we've tracked. Mm -hmm. um, some have gotten, um, you know, like one or 2000 views. Um, those were the less successful ones. And then others have been much more successful. Um, for instance, uh, not just dev is uh, a YouTuber that we worked with. He's done uh, two videos live streamed of him like coding and actually building this. Uh, keep in mind, it's developers are wanting to learn new skills, right? Yeah. Um, each of these live stream videos were over three hours long. And the first video, um, this was, I think, a, two or three months ago now, it has over 19,000 views. And the second follow-up one has over 7,000. Wow. Um, and for his subscriber base, this is actually pretty high numbers really? for him. So, um, you know, but think about that. Like, of course, not everyone watches the full video, but probably a good portion of these people watched a three plus hour video about our software like mm -hmm. how many sales pitches do you need to get to get thousands of people hearing about you for hours mm -hmm. um the the impact can be pretty substantial you know what's interesting as well uh that you brought up was one of the metrics that you guys track you got um you know over double the amount that you normally would uh of inbound leads or what you know people in your 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 product led motion. Right. Right. And I think that many marketers and even executives just overthink the KPIs and they don't connect the dots or they refuse to, because there's no way to officially, you know, get the attribution on something like that when really it's just common sense marketing. Hey, we put out this piece of content, double the inbound leads or, you know, whatever you guys are, are calling them. Um, and it's really not that hard. And then even the, the views, like you mentioned, like that could be a really good thing to track um, or a great KPI simply because you're trying to get eyeballs on your product. And I think the argument that many people have about, oh, you can't track views is because people will post fluff, for example, on LinkedIn, and that's mostly where I've seen it. And then they get right. a bunch of views, but it actually does nothing for their brand. And that's like the vanity metric of views, but it can actually be used, like you mentioned, in a really good way. Right. Like if you really believe this content is substantive, mm -hmm. um, then the views is great. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so you guys, you're using YouTube. Do you guys, when it comes to the influencers, did you go after like the account with the most subscribers or did you look for a bunch of micro influencers? I'd love to hear really your thought process on that. Yeah. So in that research phase, we primarily were looking at channels that um, had developer oriented videos, primarily tutorials and walkthrough style, um, so that our, you know, our platform could be shown, um, more easily. And we primarily looked for 10,000 subscribers or more. Um, there are accounts that are up to even like over a million, um, subscribers in this like developer tutorial world. But I would say that they don't always get the highest engagement. Um, so we kind of had a range for subscribers and that is sort of just like a proxy in the research phase for um, what we would expect from 
from views and engagement for, for a video that they made. Of course, when we start to go deeper, you can look at their actual videos and see like, okay, um, we see trends here that when they publish a video in the first month, it's on average getting this much. Over time, it builds to this much. Um, some are very consistent in the amount of views that they're getting. Others are really boom or bust. <laughs> um, and of course, the, the sponsorship payments will differ um, largely based on um, their subscribers and views that they typically get. It makes sense. Um, so obviously you guys are killing it on, on YouTube. Do any other like influencer campaigns in the B2B world come to mind that you're just like, Hey, Sam, you might not have thought about this, but this company also does a really good job. Yeah. So I think there's probably the most opportunity on YouTube right now, especially if you're in the developer marketing mm -hmm. space. Um, I think in other areas there are influencers, but maybe just not as abundant, mm -hmm. at least to what I've seen. But I think there are other channels that could be effective. Um, um, a couple examples that come to mind um, for others doing influencer marketing well, Canva has Guy Kawasaki as mm -hmm. their evangelist, which is essentially using him uh, and his clout as an influencer for their platform. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one that's an ongoing engagement that they have that's interesting. Um, like smaller examples, like Dave Gerhardt recently posted about Hatch FM. Um, and I don't know if that was like a paid engagement or not. I think yeah. he's an advisor there. Um, but an example of using someone who is essentially a marketing influencer mm -hmm. to promote uh, their brand. Yeah. So different, different examples like that are out there. Um, but I'd also say it's probably, probably worth digging into whatever your industry is to, to check what's relevant there. Because the audience is going to differ, right? Like yeah. we're not doing a lot on TikTok right now, but um, for some other company, maybe their B2B company would be a good fit there mm -hmm. or more on LinkedIn, you know, et cetera. Yeah, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head, uh, creatives, maybe on TikTok or Instagram, if that's, you know, the market that you're going after, um, right. LinkedIn, sales and marketing. I really, I would have never thought the YouTube side of things for even like the dev teams. But I mean, now that I actually think about it, I've spent hours on YouTube watching probably <laughs> a lot of those same channels, trying to figure out some coding stuff for websites. Sure. And uh yeah, that's, I'm not necessarily a coder, but it's funny to like actually hear about that, but it makes sense. That's where they are. Right. So when it comes to results, obviously it's very uh, important not to go and look at it and go like, man, we haven't seen results this week, right? You look at it from a macro view, right? From far away. Um, do you guys, what do you, how do you measure that? Uh, obviously weeks is a little bit too soon. Are you looking at months? Are you looking for impact within uh, three quarters, like a year? What does it look like for you guys? Yeah, so I think, um, thankfully, my CEO as well is comfortable with not having any kind of direct attribution here. Mm -hmm. And so we're both kind of comfortable saying, we believe this is a good bet, even if we can't really say um from this activity, we got these results. And so we're, 
it's kind of funny to say, but I'm like, okay, accepting that I might not ever really know if this was effective or not, or like a specific thing. Um, so that's maybe just like some general background uh, to keep in mind that I think is helpful, kind of like loosen up the reins of um, needing to attribute results to this. But I do think you can kind of like I was talking earlier, you can look at some stats to see mm -hmm. is this um, uh, is this making a difference? I think within the first week is probably a good time um, to look. So for instance, a recent influencer we worked with, the views um, uh, went up like 4X in the first week, comparing the first day to the end of the first week. Mm -hmm. um, but especially on YouTube, that's going to grow over the next probably three to six months. So I think checking in probably like day one, week one, month one, and then maybe like a three or six month uh, check in there. One other thing you can do to get a little more direct attribution is you could offer some kind of um, like special promo code. Mm -hmm. And that could be a way to say, okay, how many people used this promo code? And if you have a unique one per influencer, you know, you might be able to get some more direct attribution there, but it of course misses the like dark social uh, aspect of it. What do you think if you had to choose, maybe you've done both, what do you think is the better route to go? Just leave it up to, it sounds so harsh, but chance and just see what happens. Like you mentioned the dark social um, side of things or give these influencers a code of some sort so that you at least can track the attribution of some in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I think maybe it depends on the business model. Um, and if your team is like willing to invest extra dollars um, for the discount or promo. Generally speaking, though, I think it is a good idea because you're, you know, you have some offer to go along with it. And it's a it's another perk beyond the monetary investment for the influencer. Now they have something they have something special to offer uh, their audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a question I have is how do you make it worthwhile for the influencers? A lot of them uh, have sponsorships as a main way for them to continue running their channel. Mm -hmm. um, or like, you know, basically if this is their career, that is one of their main income sources. So Compensation is a big one. Um, I think, you know, offering something to their audience can be valuable as well. And especially on the developer side, if you are bringing some new ideas to the table, then I think that is often interesting to them as well because they want their audience to stay engaged. Mm -hmm. And if you're bringing something new, um, uh, then it's valuable for them as well. And I think, you know, maybe making a long-term relationship as well um, can be options to explore, like doing multiple videos of time. We've done that with one person. Um, but those are a couple that come to mind right now. Mm -hmm. What do you guys do for contracts? I'm curious to know, like, what your process is with that. Yeah, so we try to keep it fairly simple. It's usually like a SOW statement of work with some key items in there, price, deliverables, 
um, goals for what we're expecting, timelines. Um, but we try not to overcomplicate it because that just adds extra work into the process that no one really wants. Yeah. So they're pretty simple then from start to finish. Yeah. Um, when it comes from, to the, go ahead. I was just going to mention, I think from a pricing perspective, this will probably differ largely, um, by industry and company. And there are platforms that, um, can help you think about some of this. They're usually pretty expensive and more B2C focused. So mm-hmm. we have invested in them, but, um, the pricing we're seeing is um, on the like very small um, micro influencer side, something like $600 to $1,500 um, per engagement. Mm-hmm. And one engagement is usually like a video, some posts on social, and maybe let's say extra posts on Reddit or something. Mm-hmm. Um, for mid to larger ones, the range can kind of be like $3,000 to $15,000. The other interesting thing to keep in mind here is that if a channel is really growing, they might actually be increasing their prices over time. So it's better to lock in a price early mm-hmm. on rather than just keep the conversation going for a while. So yeah, as an example, one that we'd initially talked with, um, uh, he was saying, okay, yeah, we'll be around uh, $15,000 for um, an engagement here. And uh, the next time we talked with him, because he didn't, he wasn't ready to engage with us because he had a backlog of a couple months of work mm-hmm. um, with sponsorships. Next time we talked, it was about 25K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's because, as you know, he's putting out good stuff yeah. and um, uh, his channel is growing. So mm-hmm. for many companies, they're willing to spend um, the, the extra price. Um, so lock it in early if you can as well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for $15,000, you're looking for more than just a quick shout out or mention, right? Yeah, totally. This is like a dedicated video um, where (laughs) like, so an example for, for us could be um, a video showing developers how they can make their own WhatsApp clone um, using Vox implants technology is, you know, that's maybe not in the title, but that's what actually is happening in the video. So you could use Vox Implants voice for the calling functionality of WhatsApp. You could use video for, um, you know, one-to-one or multi-party video calling. You could use our chat API in this way. So the video would be combining, let's say, um, a couple of these so that developer could essentially follow along and actually create their own WhatsApp and use that with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the projects, are you guys doing... So you go to an influencer, you do a one-off project, or is this someone that you're consistently reoccurring? You know, maybe it's once per month, once per quarter that you're doing a project with. So we've done a mix of both. I'd say at this point, we're more focused on um, getting at least one out with multiple. Mm -hmm. The idea there is if we focus on that, um, then we will be touching more audiences that maybe haven't heard of us. Mm-hmm. So then we get lots of engagement with new people rather than 
going back to the same audience. I think, you know, more will shift that way more over time. But for now, I think there's a lot of um, channels that we just haven't um, connected with these YouTubers because there's so many developer ones out there. Yeah, I think one of the areas that's probably slept on a lot is executing follow-up and distribution on your end. It's not always up to the influencer, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we definitely um, tried to have uh, repurposing and distribution as part of our strategy. So they're posting it on their channels, whether it's um, social media or their Discord channel or Reddit. Um, but then we also, you know, want to share it with our audiences as well. Mm -hmm. um, especially for developers, you know, here's a good example for them to consider something new. So that follow up on both sides um, is definitely important. We're going to shift gears here a little bit. Um, I'm going to ask a few questions that I ask on every single podcast just to hear what your thoughts are. Um, first question for you, in regards to your website strategy, what's something you've recently tried and did it work or did it not work? Something we recently tried um, was moving our site to be multilingual. Hmm. So um, now our .com offers multiple languages to choose from. Um, and it has been overall successful in increasing organic uh, inbound you know, leads and opportunities from regions that didn't have um, a dedicated uh, website for that language. So example, Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say it's worked overall um, but there were definitely some hiccups along the way. For instance, translating images. We didn't think about that in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, when you are translating the text, um, we used, uh, some internal translators as well as, uh, external agencies to do it. Um, but at some point we realized like, oh shoot, there's actually a lot of other things. Yeah, graphics, that, that images. Translated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so there was a lot of like small follow-up things that we kind of had to do as a fast follow to the big uh, production push. Now, was this um, to prelude going international as a brand or were you guys already pretty well internationally established? We were already um, working internationally mm -hmm. uh, from a sales and marketing perspective, but before we were primarily using landing pages for other languages. So, you know, for each region, there was call it five to 10 landing pages in that language. Um, but of course, a landing page only gives you so much information mm -hmm. um, about the product. And so the idea was, Let's give them all the information that we have available on our website, our customer stories, et cetera. Um, one last question on that topic. Um, and if you don't know, that's fine. Did you guys use like subdomains or did you use almost like a plugin on your site just to keep everything in one place? And then obviously that would do the translation for you. Yeah. So um, we went back and forth on uh, subdomains or not. We went with... Um, not we decided not to do it and went with um using uh it in the url so for instance dot com slash es dot com slash pt etc mm -hmm. um but it was a tough decision going back and forth 
with our dev team and with our SEO agency to try to think like, what is the best strategy? What are the pros and cons? Um, but decided to land on this one. And our website is more, um, it's mostly custom built. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not necessarily using like um, widgets or plugins or something. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it'd be more like API based um, yeah. kind of work. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I would have gone with the the single domain as well. Um, cool, yeah, that's good to like, hear. Yeah, just the way <laughs> I would have weighed it because we've had people ask us the same thing. So that's interesting you guys went that route. Um, cool, so next question for you almost like a rapid fire here. This doesn't have to relate to today's topic. It can be about anything, uh, any piece of wisdom, but what's a question as a VP of marketing that you wish someone would just ask you and you've never been asked it before? Hmm. I don't get asked often um, what a side project is that I'm working on. But I think that's a fun one yeah. to be asked. What is the side project you've been working on? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I am working on this nonprofit uh, yeah. as a side project. Um, I started it myself and looking to kind of grow and build it out. Uh, and then a smaller one, which I guess is less of a project, but I'm learning Spanish as well. Very cool. So you could do the uh, the next translation of the site once you learn that, right? <laughs> I'll need some more time before that, but maybe eventually. That's awesome, man. Um, Cool. Well, to close us out, we can spend a few minutes on this if you'd like. Um, I like to give my guests the opportunity to become the podcast host for a bit. I don't know if you've ever hosted a podcast before. And if you haven't, now's your opportunity. So if you have any questions you want to shoot my way, uh, fire away. Great. So I am curious what is your ideal tech stack for a website and maybe marketing in general? Mm-hmm. Um, the website tech stack has actually shifted a little bit over the last year or so. So uh, WordPress would be CMS of choice. And then uh, we use a visual site builder called Oxygen. It creates some really fast sites. So we don't use themes anymore. Um, we're actually in the middle of rebuilding our site on Oxygen. It was previously on Divi. Um, so that's, that, that's the tech stack for the website. And then, um, and is oxygen a paid subscription? Yeah. It's like 150 bucks it for a simple license. Um, and then, you know, you have the higher ones for some agency license, but it's pretty easy to get into. It takes a little bit to get used to. I mean, not many marketers are on the back end making changes to websites, but if you had to, you certainly could, cause it's a visual builder. But, um, what I like about it is it's, I, Speed is a huge priority for me when it comes to a website and the user experience side of things. And uh, Divi and even Elementor just weren't getting it done. And this is a a pretty awesome uh, site builder to couple with WordPress. So I'm impressed with it. And that's what we've been building sites with, including ours. So that's uh, our website side. And then a couple of the things for website would be um, Hotjar. It's a really good one uh, just to see some user insights. And then Google Analytics, of course. And then marketing tech stack, uh, LinkedIn has to be, I don't even know if you'd really put that in tech stack, but I'll, I'll put it in there anyway. <laughs> sure. LinkedIn for marketing, uh, Asana for project management, HubSpot, you know, for everything else. Uh, for our podcast, we use anchor.fm. I like that it's free. It's pretty cool. I think a lot of people use it for their podcast. It uploads, distributes it everywhere. And then uh, Canva, honestly, um, I'm not a designer, 
but Canva, my toxic trait is thinking I'm a designer because I use Canva, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, the tech stack. This is essentials right there. They're probably happy about that because that means their product <laughs> is enabling you to do it well enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in their positioning somewhere that uh, that's their main feature, but it, it sure helps. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Uh, another question for you here. What form fields do you suggest B2B software companies require in their forms, no matter their industry or target audience, region, et cetera? Um, a how did you hear about us text uh, open text field and yeah, you require it. Um, stay away from the dropdowns just because you can probably get some misleading uh, data from those. But we put the uh, how did you hear about us field in our website and just let people type in whatever they want. And it's really cool to get the insights that you um, get in those things. And then you can even follow up with it on your sales calls and just like, hey, why did you reach out or how long did it take until you felt comfortable? That's one of the things that I'll ask is, Hey, how many LinkedIn posts or videos did it take before you actually felt like you should reach out? And then you can kind of compare that to what they said uh, on the intake form. And then the other thing I would require is the company email. And honestly, you can do use data enrichment. We're not using it yet. Um, but I know a lot of companies that are, they'll literally just use company email and then maybe a how do you hear about us form and then the data enrichment will get everything else they need um, on the back end so that they don't have to sit there forever filling out a form, which is a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, one more question for you here. What is one of the hardest marketing decisions you've made in the past? Mm. Okay. So pertaining to our podcast, um, we use it as a, obviously a marketing tool. So we bring on um, our ideal clients and then we have them talk to their peers, right? So they'll talk about right now, you're talking about marketing because I want people to listen to it. Let's say Grant is a really smart guy, right? And they're obviously gathering that already from this call. So we use it as a marketing tool to create content from. Um, now, before we were building uh, websites for SaaS companies and B2B companies, we actually were an agency for the small business space. So our podcast was called Small Business Made Simple, and we were doing the exact same thing. We were bringing on business owners, talking to them, getting their insights, and then distributing that content to other business owners for brand awareness for us. And it worked phenomenally. And when we uh, shifted in 2020 to the B2B space um, in a web development firm for the B2B space, we decided to take our podcast with it. And it was really scary because we built up a really big audience in the small business world. And we basically cut that off and started from scratch with a B2B marketing podcast. And that's where we are today. Uh, I mean, total we're at 200 plus episodes probably between the two podcasts. And even on the marketing side, we're a hundred plus deep um, already, which is really cool. So that was probably the scariest thing I did. It was really exciting and bittersweet. But uh, we spent a lot of time building that podcast up and then just changing it to something. I mean, it, it's business at the end of the day uh, between the sure. two topics, but that was probably the scariest thing I did when it comes to marketing. It was just cutting something off that was working. Hmm. What made you want to do that company pivot? The company pivot. Um, so in 2020, obviously the pandemic had a really, uh, was rampant in the small business world more than anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> and pre-pandemic, it was hard enough to convince a mom and pop shop that they needed a website, let alone 
when they're fighting for their business lives during a pandemic. So what we realized is we had worked with a number of B2B clients that uh, they were definitely affected by the pandemic, but it was a much better model to go and work with these companies because one, they really appreciate marketing, two, they really value it, and three, they're always investing in it. So that was our thought process behind it. And honestly, we haven't looked back. I don't really miss um, getting nickel and dimed by a, a mom and pop shop because that's at the end of the day, that's just not the priority for them. It's really not. That's why they're called yeah. small businesses. And uh, that's the shift that we made. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. In the past, I co-founded a web development agency for small businesses, primarily restaurants and I feel your pain (laughs) that it's uh, not a priority for them. It's something they know they need, but it's small on their huge to-do list. (laughs) Yes. And even if it is on the to-do list, it's, uh, oh yeah, you're going to get a website up for us for 500 bucks. That's, (laughs) that's honestly the, the, the language that you hear in that uh, industry and that's okay. You know, if that's how they want to approach it for sure, there's some freelancers out there, but for us, we wanted to grow. And uh, that was why we, we made that pivot. I'm really glad that we did though. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Awesome, man. Well, is that it? Are you all good on your end with the podcast hosting? Yeah. I mean, we could keep going forever, but I think we'll, uh, we'll cap it at that for now. We'll have to do a 2.0 episode. Uh, one of these days we'll have you back. All right. So Grant, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, before we go, I always like to hear where we can find out more about you. Uh, maybe even Vox implant. Yeah, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Grant M. Duncan. And um, Vox Implant is voximplant.com. Awesome. Well, Grant, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, good talking to you.